when I was founding a company, my second company, Apostrophe, we were trying to figure out what is this company? Where is it going to go? What do we need to do? And the first place we start is with goals, right? And then in the startup world, you're always wondering like, how am I going to know I've achieved it? Or if this goal is going in a direction it should be going or not, and should I pivot? And so we started to take a look at the OKRs framework and and I found that everyone was getting stuck on what's the O, what's an objective, what's a KR, how do I measure? From seven CTOs, my name is Etienne De Bruyne and you're in the CTO studio. We have Kathy Keating, currently the VP of Engineering at Ad Hoc, former CTO at Apostrophe and also a member of the Forbes Technology Council. We also have Subarama, who is former CTO of Certino, sold his company Bitfusion and is currently building a stealth startup. We're going to talk about OKRs and the GEMS framework. You're in for a real treat. Everyone was losing sight of like why you're doing what you're doing or how you're going to get there, the path to getting there from the O to the KR. So we took a step back and we said like this OKR thing is not working for us. It's just causing too much um, confusion, but we still want to set goals. We still want to measure them. But, but for us, the most important part was the path to get there and the ability to like assess whether we needed to pivot or not quickly in that process. And so that's how GEMS were formed. The O in OKR is the same as the G in GEMS being goals, experiments and measures. The KR is the same as the M in GEMS. So you're still measuring, you're still setting goals. But the most important, the most delicious part of the GEMS is the actual experiments that you're going to run. And so we spent most of our time focusing on those experiments, really defining how we were going to get from point A to point B, and really articulating that experimentation process. And then really for each experiment, looking at whether that experiment moved our measure, if it didn't move our measure, then let's go do another experiment. And so it gave us freedom all of a sudden within the framework to be able to say, hey, it's all about experimentation. It's all about where we're going. It's all about it's all about that path is the most important part of this framework. And is it sending, is that path taking us to the right direction? So gems were formed at that point. And I've used them in almost every company since, even in cases where people wanted to do KRs. I just did gems within the OKR framework. I love that. So does it mean that there is no experimentation really in OKRs? It doesn't mean that, but the OKR framework doesn't tell you how to get from point A to point B. It just says you have an objective, you have a key result, and then it's really up to you to find your path. And I think that's where a lot of people get lost. Maybe more senior strategic people who have done goal setting before can really articulate their path. But as it starts to cascade down into the teams really need the structure of what is the task or the experiment that I'm going to run to get there. And if that piece is really missing in OKR framework. I think Kathy's right. You know, having used OKRs for a while, I've incorporated the E inside the KR. In OKR, most of the time, I try to split the, the key results into the various experiments that are measurable. But I know what you're talking, Kathy, because it's sometimes there could be multiple experiments you got to run to do the key results and not one experiment can give you the key results. And it really uh, makes it really harder and harder, especially as things trickle down to the various teams, Kathy. On the, uh, you, you could try to squeeze the 
EMs into KRs, but yeah, it's the multiple E's would be needed to need one, do one M. <laughs> so. One thing I see a lot of teams doing wrong with OKRs or, or not ideal with their OKRs is you might get your senior leadership to set a, a true OKR. Like we want to raise revenue by 20% and here we're going to measure it. Enterprise sales growth versus mid-sized company sales growth. So that might be a great OKR, right? But as that cascades down, what I see happen at the next level is all the teams underneath that start actually changing the OKR. They actually create their own objective and their only key result as a cascade down from the top. So now they're like, okay, we're engineering and we can't control revenue, but we can release new features. So now I'm going to go write my own OKR that ties to the corporate OKR, right? Now you've got two, two sets of OKRs that might or might not be going in the same direction. When I introduced GEMS, I actually didn't cascade the O or the KR. I only cascade the experiment. What that does is it allows everything at the corporate level to be aligned into a single mission. And then each team has the freedom to say, these are the experiments that I want to run in my area to drive change to this objective. And then all of a sudden, the engineering teams or the product teams or customer support or whatever team it is can have the freedom to experiment within that structure of the OKR. And so GEMS allows that freedom of cascading differently than OKRs are typically cascading. I'm wondering if the GEMS framework, assuming, and I think we'll get into this with the G and the M, I'm assuming that by naming the experiment in a GEMS framework, you're surfacing and therefore planning for what type of experiments you're having. You know, it's almost like writing your to-do so you can cross it out on a piece of paper versus just having a mental, great, I did it. And there's no visual reward for what's happened. And so I'm wondering with OKRs, surely with objectives, you are also breaking it out into what you're going to do or what you're going to experiments you're going to run is, is that, or, or is it truly obfuscated inside of the O? I think the challenge is everyone can do it differently because the framework doesn't really prescribe how to break that down. So com some companies might take their product roadmap and map it to an objective, or they might look at their feature backlog and map it to an objective, or they might be changing a process within their customer experience or customer support organization. And they just might map it to that, oh, but there's not like a, a single way in which all those teams are prescribed to do it. And so what you end up with is everyone maybe within the same company, like cascading that differently. So yeah, you might not get an alignment. You might not as a company get to cross those lines a lot because everyone's doing it differently. Yeah, I love that. I love that. So it's the fact that it's being named, there's a method for it. And I know we'll get into how the experiments are run. I, I do want to sit a little bit with OKRs first, which is, Subu, I know you mentioned that obviously we're all well familiar with how to do OKRs. What are some of the Apart from the one you just mentioned, Kathy, but what are some of the pros and the cons of OKRs that don't directly oppose GEMS? Could the freedom in the O potentially be good for a company? Could the fact that it's not documented or discrete inside of an experiment be good? What are some of the pros and cons of doing OKRs that you've seen over your, your experience as a CTO? Maybe Subu, what do you think? The biggest advantage 
of an OKR that I see is, so in the past, you know, in, you know earlier, I, I used to just have KPIs. I never had OKRs. KPIs, you know, you just define KPIs and just, you know, key performance indicators and just, just focus on that. They're good, but the problem is it doesn't tell you what the goal is. It doesn't give you the big picture. So what I have found useful with respect to OKRs is it allows you to set like goals. For example, if, we, if you're an early stage company, in the last six months, one of the things we did was identify early adopters. That's an objective. And how do you basically identify the early adopters? By having X number of customers meetings, having a Y number of ideal customer profiles identified, having uh, Z number of customers confirmed for trial, having X1 number of you know discovery meetings. So all these become like key metrics or key results that we can actually track. So to me, the OKR, the biggest thing that OKR gives is that big goals that you can actually adhere to. One of the main things I tell the teams and, and we follow that is you can have as many key results as possible, no problem, but do not have more than a couple of objectives. If you are a department, don't try to have 10 objectives. Uh, have very clear, ideally, uh, I challenge people to say, just have one objective per department. Maybe, you know, two objectives if you really have something strategic going on. And that's what I've seen with respect to, you know, some of the best practices is really, if you minimize, hey, you have to have just one, then people are really forced to think, what that one should be. And the objective is not really a key result. A lot of people, you know, con uh, confuse objectives to key results. Some people might say, hey, I want to hit 10 customers. That's an objective. Or I want to hit, hit this. That's an objective. That's not really an objective. Objective is what is that thing that's going to take your department or your unit or your company to that next stage? And that's purely defined as a goal. So that's basic. And I really like what Cathy said about this cascading. I've seen this problem a lot where, you know, there's a company objective and then various departments will reiterate the same objective when I click go down. It might work in early stages of the company, but as the company scales, there's a lot of repetition. And one of the things I've found to be super useful is have the objectives defined at the company level. And I think it could be very interesting with GEMS framework. After looking at the GEMS framework, when I saw the link and I really early this morning, and I think the experiments and the measures, you can have multiple experiments and measures for every department and that could keep trickling down. That could be one G that's defined at the company level and then that could be a bunch of EMs. And I try to do the same with OKRs, but it's, yeah, it's, I think, you know, what Cathy is trying to do could be solving and I'm, I'm actually going to experiment it in the next quarter. <laughs> He's going to write a gem to experiment with setting experiments. <laughs> that's right. A lot of people, like I, I, I in our CTO Slack, uh, you know, group where somebody was asking, hey, you know, can we get an OKR coach or can we get a, in my view, I don't think you're actually going to get a lot of value by getting it. It's my personal view, by getting a coach or anything, just talk to practitioners who've been doing it, like operators who've been doing it. Because I think it's the concept of OKRs can be very different for a company, the stage, departments, it can be very different and I think one can really narrow down on how the right OKR for their company by practicing it a few times. Another thing I've always found is define the OKR for the annual and then try to define it for quarterly and then 
define it for monthly. That really helps make sure we're actually going towards that particular objective. So these are some other things I've know I've used. And I always force people to really make the key results as measurable, like have the progress column. Like it that has to be a number associated with every key result. Otherwise it's just not a key result. And maybe that's where Kathy's experiment might work because sometimes you can't really measure it, but it's an experiment that's there. Multiple experiments can actually have so <laughs> Well, you, you brought up one of the things that I think is most, most got me to start this GEMS framework is because the uh, objective should be like subjective, qualitative, not numeric, right? So the objective or goal needs to be like big thinking ideas. This is where we want to go. And, and the key result or the, the GEMS is all about the quantitative, the data. Like, how am I going to measure that I can go from this great idea to something foundationally that I can prove that I did. And and then, of course, there's the path in between, which are the experiments. And I think people do get stuck in like putting the measures into the O or to the objective or trying to stuff all the experiments in the middle and say, right, they're OKR too. And it just, that's where just people go off and get confused with the OKR framework because it just doesn't have those like true separation of like subjective big ideas measurable results and then the path to get there. It, it brings me to a question around failure because when does an OKR fail? A lot of times the OKR fails when the measurement period is over and you didn't reach the, the key result. The same would be true for gems if you time box the work. But the question is, when did you notice you were failing? Did you not notice you were failing until like you got to the end of the quarter or the end of the year and then you're starting to measure everything? And all of a sudden you're like, these 10 projects didn't get done because we didn't know they were behind. And, and so you don't know until the very end that you're failing. That's, I think, a beauty too of the jump framework is I have everything in a template. I have all my experiments in a template and I'm actually measuring progress of all my experiments along the way. So I know if those experiments are failing way before I get to the end of the time blocks. Something that I think Subu said, which I really enjoyed, and as I reflected on doing OKRs, a lot of times that mental exercise that you do with your team to help them be results-oriented in how they think about objectives is really the beginning and the end of the value of an OKR in my mind. It's, it's not a, like, and to Subu's point earlier, hey, I want this OKRs coach. I think what you're really saying is, is you just want someone to facilitate the pretty difficult conversation with your team because people might disagree on what the results look like. People might disagree on how the uh, objectives relate to the larger organizational goals. And then you have this cascading problem as well. So as far as what I'm seeing with gems, though, is that because you are documenting experiments, you're actually sitting with something that can be executed on. Whereas with OKRs, I feel like that's the first conversation you could have. But then from there, is, it a, is the gems framework a measurable, executable thing that, that keeps everybody on the same page? and everybody informed as to the progress that's being made. Is, is that how, am I viewing it the right way? I think you are viewing it. I think you're getting to the nut um, that needs to be cracked here. Is most individual contributors in an organization can't see clearly how the work that they do 
drives long-term change for the company. So they often feel disconnected from the measure, the key result. So if the key result is to increase revenue by 20%, that's like feels almost impossible for an individual contributor within an organization to feel that they can actually move, right? And so they feel disconnected in that OKR framework because you're having this great conversation about all these great metrics that they don't feel connected to being able to move. But if you come back to, if you step backwards and say, what are the 10 things that we could do in our individual contributor teams? Well, let's say we're engineers in our engineering teams that could drive revenue. All of a sudden you're letting them define the experiments and those experiments are things that they know they can control and that they can move the dial on. And as a leader, we're the ones making the connection to the measure, right? So we're helping them bridge that gap from all these great experiments they want to run into a measure that's measurable. And I think it it puts more power and ownership and control into the teams that we want to be in autonomous teams to begin with. We're allowing them to ideate in the realm of the things that they feel comfortable that they actually can take ownership of and drive forward. Kathy, I have a question on something. You mentioned something interesting in the beginning of the conversation, which is incorporating gems inside OKR. So how would you advise, you know, people to do that? So for example, like I'm using OKRs and I don't want to just completely change people. To, oh, it just uses new framework. What are your tips? That's great because at the end of the day, they map almost one-to-one, almost. So the O, the objective really matches to the G in the yeah. goal, right? The, the KR maps to the M and the experiments is the only thing that's different is what I'm doing in this framework is actually prescribing a way ex- through experiments to actually define the path. And so if you wanted to stick to the OKR framework, then you just stick an E into OKR somewhere, right? OKE or I don't know. <laughs> or maybe you just imply the E, I don't know. But at the end of the day, like I often just do gems when it comes to OKRs. And often even people who do OKRs call them goals, call them measures. They don't stick to the O and the KR. So it's pretty easy to just add that new section, which is the E, the experiment. At the end of the day, I called them gems because it's a really cool name. (laughs) Yeah. Emberable, you can play on, you can have the black diamond gem or the quartz gem, like the hard ones and the easy ones. And I think it just becomes much more visual visual for people. And I'm, I'm a visual person. In their mind, they understand what those rare gems are. And then those are going to be the hard ones for us to tackle. Is it fair to say that every measure will be tied to one or more experiments? Is that a fair statement? In my world, I find that gems multiple experiments tied to one measure. So I might have, I'll use the example I've been using all along is, well, I want to increase my revenue, I'll increase revenue by 20%. So over the course of the year. So that would be my G and the M. And then I don't know how I'm going to do that. So I'm going to do multiple experiments. And so all those experiments are tied to driving toward that 20% 20% revenue growth. And some of them are going to drive that revenue and some of them aren't. So let's say I'm an engineering team and I'm going to go build a set of features. And what if my customers don't adopt those features? Then the measure is not going to move or they're not going to pay more for it. And sales actually has to find a way to pay more for it instead of put it in the basic package. So sales has to figure out how to do their part. I have to release the feature 
But the act of releasing the feature production doesn't wipe your hands clean of meeting the goal. You actually have to derive the 20% revenue growth in order to meet the goal. So the team, once you release the code, moves on to the next experiment that's going to drive that measure as well. And so many experiments can tie into the same measure. Yeah, I love what you just said. And that's why I created that Sentinel model, because I think so so many CTOs and perhaps newer ones or inexperienced ones will say, I did the release and our team did the push as we were asked. But the Sentinel model says, no, what is the threat modeling? What is the organizational changes? How did you work with salespeople? How did you work with adjacent organizations to affect that change and massage in those releases? And what does that ultimately mean for the larger organization? So I love what you just said. It's a truly powerful impact that we need to have as CTOs in the organization. It's like saying, hey, I... I made this thing, and but I'm not going to show you how to use it. And you guys figure it out because I did all the hard work to make it. And people are like, well, unless I can use this, it's useless. What else is pretty cool here is um, the transparency of gems actually forces all the parts of the work to work together. So um, I have a nice little template I use for my gems. I think it's in that uh, article I wrote. I've got a picture of it. But the act of every group putting their experiments onto the gems tracker requires everyone to work together to achieve the goal. So as engineering delivers the code, marketing has to tell people that the new feature is out there. Sales has to start selling it in the sales cycle. Finance has to start building for the new feature if it's a, a, a new pay or all the teams have to work together. And so all these experiments aren't going to achieve the goal until everyone does their part of that work. And so each one of those are experiments that are going to help move um, toward that goal. But the goal can't really be realized until all those teams come together and do their part in the goal. So if engineering doesn't live, deliver the feature until the last day of the cycle measure, of course, all those other teams downstream can't do their goal as well. And so it creates this like transparent symbiotic relationship between all the parts of the award to do all the pieces they need to work in tandem to achieve that goal. And so that's why I like the ability to like have that tracker and have everyone look at that tracker on a regular basis to say, how are we doing? Are we off track? Are we yeah, maybe your Gems book will compete with my Sentinel book for the New York Times best-selling. Oh, that's it. Awesome. <laughs> hey, just so I can get my ducks in the row, did you invent this? Is it your framework or is it someone else's? I know everything under the sun has already been invented. I know that. At, at the end of the day, what's invention? I took the OKR framework. I said it didn't work for me. We gave it a new name. We started using it. It's a lot of people, a lot of companies are now using it. At the end of the day, this is all, all these ideas are just variations of some. Well, I want to just come back to something Subu said. I think it's really important to pick the framework that works for you. Like all these frameworks, they're slightly different. They do different things. But at the end of the day, the, the framework you should use is the framework that works best for you. And that's how Gems got created because the OKR framework wasn't working for me and we needed to figure out something else. In my opinion, it's just not you as the person who's actually been the leader, but it's really the team. It's because if, you, if your team doesn't adopt it, if people, it's, do you follow Sprint or uh, do you follow Agile Scrum or Kanban, like all those things, 
is whatever works for the team. The agile methodology, it's people over processes. So what, what I've learned over the years is just make sure the team actually, th there are teams where I've tried to push OKRs and they would just completely not take it and I've given up and we just went to KPIs. So it's perfectly fine. Yeah, and I think the this is the this is uh, where I think speaking of frameworks, I think that Gems framework does this really well, um, opposed to the Sentinel framework, which is the Gems framework actually says let's list the experiments, let's see that as a malleable thing, let's bring in the teams and let's define what those experiments could be, and and let's really share that ownership with the Sentinel. For me, it's implied. So it's, hey, you're going to go to your team and figure out what the actions are that lead to the objectives. And But I love the idea that the team, the direct reports, their teams, all kinds of levels get to say, wow, here's this big thing we want to do as a company. Here's what success is going to look like. How can we all brainstorm and have fun and uh, participate in how to get to that point? And I think that is very exciting for me. And just looking at your spreadsheets here, Kathy, and your, on your blog post, we'll link out to the blog post, is some of those experiments are just, some of them you can just see are going to fail. But what is failure other than encouraging people to participate in the process? Yeah, I think that really gets into the idea of experimentation in its core. I think a lot of companies don't see the hypotheses that they create as experiments. They think, oh, we're going to go do X and X is going to save the world. And then they stop thinking that X was just something they made up in their head and isn't something that they've put rigor or data behind to ensure that if they do X, it's actually going to drive to the goal. And so this is where I think so many companies fall down is they don't recognize and acknowledge that this is just a hypothesis and they don't know if it's fact and there's a ton of luck in the process and there's a ton of like guesswork anytime we pick on a new feature that we're going to build or a new process that we're going to put in place or a new program we're going to define it's all a hypothesis and so the more we can embrace that these things aren't guaranteed to succeed the more we feel freedom to experiment and to think of all the different things we could do to achieve that goal, there's this freedom that happens to say, maybe there's another four or five different experiments that might be better than that big, massive nine-month uplift that we think we need to do. There might be 20 other small things we could do that could achieve the same goal. And so that freedom to experiment. I love that. And also the idea that every, everything goes can almost turn into some sort of game where you the, the same team that came up with, let's say, 20 experiments, which of course, with each experiments, there's an assigned cost to that time, which I'm sure can be like, oh, we're not, we're not going to do 50 experiments. But you can turn that into some sort of game where people self-select or call the, the group, call it themselves. And the thing I love about this also is the idea that if the team is going to collectively own the successes of the gem, then they would almost be incentivized to do the, to have those experiments outcome happen as quickly as possible. So you almost have this baked in 
teams are wanting to know as soon as possible whether something's going to fail so that they can move on to the next thing. And I fail, I use loosely, there's an outcome for an experiment, whether it's successful or not. And so I love that if, even if you have more, so, okay, well, if you guys want eight experiments, we need to quickly figure out if these two are worth our time. So why don't we quickly do this prototype or quickly try this thing out? And to me, I don't know if I'm mildly delirious right now, but I just see very happy engineers. Oh, yeah. Just think about like how fast can you get to know that your experiment is going to fail? I learned this years ago from Rally Software, who was eventually acquired by Broadcom. But Rally used to say, we're going to experiment and our goal is to prove that this is a failure. Not the goal to prove that it's a success, but all their experiments were about we're going to prove that this experiment will not lose. And so the rigor they put in around that and the speed at which they would be able to experiment was to get to the answer of failure as fast as possible so that they could pivot to the next thing. And so I've seen all sorts of really cool ways to experiment. It could be like through user research. It could be through surveys. It could be through doing something manually for a small set of pilot customers and then seeing whether they want more enough to you, for you to actually invest in the engineers to build the feature. So there's just a lot of ways to get to the answer of it's a failure or it's going to be a success as fast as possible. And we should feel free to do that because we only want to expend the time and the money on the things that are, we know are going to be successful. So the faster we can get to that answer to know whether it's going to be good, the better. Did you want to throw any compliments my way for the Sentinel since I've been so liberal in my compliments for the gems? Are you fishing? You were working on Sentinel right when I was working on my talk for seven CTOs where I was going to incorporate gems. I just think great minds think alike. Like a lot of times we just want to get to a process that works for our teams or really supports our teams to be successful. And like your Sentinel is very similar to the GEMS framework, the grid system you put in place. I think yours is very CTO-centric, which is good. And, and it also gets them to think about the areas in which they need to focus. So like thinking of security and compliance and automation. See, that's very prevalent in your Sentinel. And I'm looking at it from the business. GEMS is coming from the, the full business side. I think that there's a way you could blend the two very easily to ensure that any experiment that does go forward has these characteristics. I absolutely agree. I think absolutely mine was CTO centric. The problem I saw in seven CTOs and working with CTOs is just the stresses of delivery can often cloud all the things that we should be thinking about in service to reaching our objectives that often falls to the wayside and isn't brought to the C-suite's attention. And so I think the more experienced CTO is going to be able to run with the gems because they already have a sense of all the bases they have to cover in order to deliver. Whereas the CTO Sentinel, I think, really speaks to, I think, maybe newer or maybe less experienced CTOs to just say, hey, did you think about all the different things that have to be accomplished in order to hit this objective? And, and then, of course, the grid system to just keep the C-suite informed on, on how things are going. But I think that the, I love how the GEM system totally helps the teams 
articulate what those experiments are. I think I call them actions in my thing, but, and I think you told me actions and experiments and I was like, oh, I love actions. Yeah, the GAMS doesn't sound as good as GAMS. <laughs> the GAMS. Because I add, I think I looked at GEMS since this morning, reading Kathy's blog post. And actually, I try to map our, like, one part of our OKRs with the Sentinel framework when you add that questionnaire. I feel like the Sentinel framework has some things that could probably map to the GEMS, which is, so you have this concept of speed of delivery. What about the, the stretch goals or the, the ideas and stretching? And uh, what are the the risks like competitive like you no know, threats in 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 which is going to block you from meeting the goals and what additional things that you need from our outside groups like you call it I think sales integration but it could be like product it could be marketing it could be anything so I, I think there's a way where you know it I think there's a I need to think through this a little bit but you could probably use some of the ideas in the Sentinel and probably use them as tagging in the gems it becomes columns in the experiment or maybe in the measures and. Maybe there are things you could probably even map out things. Here I'm just geeking out. We just uh, you could probably map out things. Hey, uh, how risky is this particular objective? What's your velocity for this objective? So I, I think there's some interesting insights you can probably derive by merging the two. Yeah, I'll probably have my people draw up a term sheet so we can acquire gems. <laughs> I'm going to acquire my brain. I can't wait to... <laughs> Kathy, there's, there's not enough money in this world to acquire your brain. It's crazy. So let's talk, let's talk about the experiments then, because I think that's the key. That is the gem for me about this framework, which is unlocking that freedom to, ex to experiment, to fail, to succeed, to share the ownership. So Kathy, walk us through how you've run these experiments meetings with your teams or how do you ideally see them run? I think there's many different ways they could run. I think anytime, you, anytime we introduce a concept for the first time at a, a gem, a goal, we want people to get started owning the goal immediately. So I think it's important to allow lots of ideas to surface from many cross-functional parts of the organization, right? Because we don't want to just go to the engineers and say, hey, engineers, how would you solve this? And then sales separately goes separate, right? There's real power in this cross-functional dynamic of everyone working together to ideate and, and to be able to think out of the box. So it's pretty common in these for me to see 20, 30 ideas come to the table, which companies can't do 20 or 30 things in a quarter. So you have to call it down. And then the question is, what is your prioritization process for calling it down? Is it based on how long it takes to do it? How much it's going to cost for us to run the experiment? How risky is the experiment? Do what's our confidence level in the experiment actually moving the measure? Or is it just really a, a wild guess? So everyone can come up with their own prioritization framework, but I think it's important to tackle two or three experiments at a time, depending on how large your org is, or at least prioritize in order what experiments you're going to run. And the goal really for my team is to pick the easiest ones first, because if we can start the metric moving in the direction that we want, we can tackle the bigger ones later. So take the easiest one first. Like I have um, a goal right now to around helping my teams better assess where they are on the DevOps maturity life cycle. And so one experiment there is to just run a survey to understand 
where they're at. Just that understanding is going to what you focus on flourishes. So just an understanding of them doing a survey can actually help them increase their adoption of DevOps because when they say, we don't do this today, they're going to start doing it. So just the act of running a survey can actually be a very first small step in, in me achieving this, this gem just by actually surveying and asking questions. And so that's much easier than building, going out and building a full DevOps training program or acquiring one or partnering with somebody. So yeah, just thinking about like how, what are the easiest things we can do first and then priority ordering them and then really getting into the cycle of who's driving, who's the sponsor, who's driving each experiment and getting into that rhythm. And that's where that jumps tracker board really is helpful because like on a weekly basis or on a quarter, a monthly basis or whatever your check-in time is, you're actually checking in at Green Neal Red. Am I on track? Am I off track? Is like, is it failing? And so getting into that rhythm of, yeah, I feel things are going really good and I'm going to get there. And so I think it's just getting that engine going, but like keeping the ideas open. And I have another initiative that I've been running for the last probably four months uh, around our hiring program. And I keep adding experiments to the list because we're not quite achieving the goal that we want. And so we're continuing to add experiments at IDA four months into that goal. Is there a danger though that that you're in la-la land if you keep adding stuff? terms of estimation or ballooning cost, is it possible that a C-suite might look at you and say, wow, it's open season on experiments. We, how do we know, where, how do we know that you boxed time, boxed in right. your scope? I think there's two ways you can evaluate that. The first being, what's your time box? So for this particular hiring one, it was a six month window. And we knew we had a lot of stuff we had to change to meet the goal. So the first thing is, what's the time box and who are the people we're tagging to be able to go after that? So that's where you can control cost is to say, I'll put this engineering team on this problem and, and they have to drive the goal in and of themselves because that's the thought, that cost structure we're in, the budget structure. The other thing is, are you moving the needle or not? So if I'm four months in and I've moved the needle 75%, you're going to give me the next two months to continue to experiment to move that needle to 100 because I've proven the model. I've proven I can move the needle. If I was still at zero, that'd be a different story. Then you'd be like, you're 75% in to the time and you've moved the needle zero. Maybe you're doing the wrong experiments, right? So at least there could be this dialogue around how do you refine and how do you decide when you're going to put more experiments on the plate or not. And you can do that within guardrails. Because you're tracking and because you're, that information is making it to the C-suite, you're, you either have credibility to buy more time or you need to defend your face and look at how you can get maybe a different set of measurements or rethink the gems, right? Yeah. And I use the uh, analogy, I don't know if you've ever sailed, but like when you sail from point A to point B, you don't just get in the boat and go straight there with blinders on. When you're sailing, you're going to attack, like I'm not a sailor, so left or right, <laughs> starboard, what is it? Starboard. <laughs> um, anyway, 
Damn it. Where is Fergie when you need him? Damn. You're going to, you're going to not go in a straight line. And, and that's what I think like this whole idea of experimentation is about, or a good example is you're in your car and you're using ways might redirect you around something because it's the faster path, right? So every time you take a turn on your navigation from point A to point B, that's a pivot toward being more successful in reaching your goal. And I think we need to think about the work we do within, whether it's OKRs or GEMS or whatever framework, you got to think about you're going to attack multiple different directions within that process to get to that goal. And you should be like celebrating that, those pivots, because those pivots are making you better and better at what you're doing, rather than being blind and just going straight toward a goal without questioning whether it's the right direction or not. The one thing I want to ask Kathy around the GEMS framework or even OKRs in general, at what level do you stop tracking this OKRs? Like, you know, you could probably obviously go department, go below and below. What level do you stop, Kathy? I think it's going to be different for everyone, but I pretty much stop at my department level. And that's just where I am. So that's actually a good few hundred people. But but an experiment is going to cascade down into epics and stories that the engineers work on or, or whatever team you're on. Like it's going to cascade down, but it's going to turn into a different structure. So that experiment becomes, I guess you could say the epic and then a bunch of stories and tasks that you're doing to build that out. So it's just going to transform into structures that individual contributors understand within their own ecosystem to be able to track and manage. But I, I like the idea of a department-wide or sometimes a company-wide, depending on your startup, you might have a single jump tracker for the whole company with experiments within that, that each team is going to go off and work on each part of the org. But I wouldn't, I don't like to get to the point of like detailed micromanagement unless that detail is actually significant thing that's going to drive the metric. Experiment should be an experiment, not a task. It shouldn't be goal build feature X. The experiment should be feature X is going to make customers pay us more or something like that, right? <laughs> I really like the analogy you mentioned about the experiments connecting back to uh, Jira projects or Jira epics, or I think that's a really good. That's one thing I've actually found that none of these tools that are there do a really good job. You know, you have these things that you measure for OKRs and then you now basically have this Jira and everything. I really wish, hey, if you want to basically, you know, put your term sheet in, you know, probably wait for that company, which has that, right? <laughs> hey, hey, I own gemgoals.com. Maybe, you know, yeah, maybe Kathy can spin off a side company doing that. Because I, I personally, I've seen so many people try to redo project management, so many tools again and again. I just feel like there's just things, just this, it's just not connected. Let's let's wrap up maybe with giving people listening in a way forward. So let's say possibly you're steeped in OKRs or you're steeped into some other process. You're intrigued by the James framework. Kathy, how would you encourage people to dip their toes in the framework or does, do they have to do a switch or is there a way to coexist? What are your thoughts? How can you give people a way into this framework? Yeah, so I think if, let's say someone is using OKRs and, and struggling a little, little bit, I would actually come at it from, let's just ideate on experiments. 
keep the OKR the way it is, but let's just ideate on all the different things we can do and put some structure to that experimentation. How are you going to vet what you're going to do? How are you going to give, are you going to open up to ideas so you have diverse opinions at the table? And just really ideate on that and not get stuck in like how you're going to cascade the OKRs. Instead of cascading the OKR, just embrace the experiment part of it and add that to your OKR as your plan. And that's how you'll cascade. And so that's how I would get started with this is to just focus on the piece that's missing in the OKR framework and fill that in and then come up with a structure for how you're going to track and manage that work. Uh, and then how are you going to measure back to that KR to know that you're, the experiments you're doing are driving to success? That's a great first thing to bite off for the first quarter or two, getting yourself into that rhythm. And out of that, you'll come out with some, like I have my gem tracker cheat. You can create your own. Just add the pieces that are missing in the framework that you're using. And I think my concern would be, how do I... Is there a easy way, is there a way for me to go through this experimentation process? Because I, the part that worries me a little bit is if you are going to dip your toes in the experiments, you are touching quite a few departments or people like, like you could go into it pretty naively and then potentially have a storm of ideas and disagreements, which I guess at that point you have other problems, but. I'm trying to think of the most innocuous way to gently touch it into a process that might not be that welcoming of experiments. So if you were struggling with that challenge, one thing you might do is just say, if you had an OKR, you're already going to pick something that you're going to do that you think is going to drive that OKR. So maybe you experiment within just that one idea, right? And that one idea to say, are there ways that we can get to understanding that this is going to be successful faster? You might want to do a pilot. You might want to do some UX research. Is there things that you can add to that one thing you were already going to do to get to the answer faster of success or failure? And so that then you're just restructuring the work into, let's say, phases at that point. And potentially then, if you want to protect your team from your own sort of noviceness about this, you could potentially sanity check that with one of your other CTO friends or even someone else in the company that, hey, what if, would it help you if we did a little experiment to see if moving the button six pixels to the right will make the difference that the CEO thinks it's going to make? Yeah, my, my famous one is changing the button from green to orange at Pip Monster and driving, driving conversions up 20%. But yes, like vetting it with somebody else is a really helpful thing. I often play the the vetting board for a lot of people when they're writing their gems or their OKRs to say, am I off base on this or not? What do you think? It's really helpful to have a forum with people around you, whether they're in your company or peers in your same role somewhere else to vet these ideas against. I, I love that. So A, my mind's blown by the orange button to green button. So you're going to have to tell that story. And secondly, the... What do you, when someone comes to you and says, hey, Kathy, I wrote these experiments, what do you think? What are some of the first things you look for that are like red flags for you? Or what do you see in, in well-formulated experiments or not? Might be too general a question, but 
surely there's just something that you see, oh yeah, clearly this is not going to work or is it not that simple? No, it is. I'm always looking for things like I'm going to go build, I'm going to have my whole engineering team work for nine months on this feature. And only when that feature is done, will we know whether we're successful or failing. I, I always look for those as big red flags, right? I'm a fan of pilots. I'm a fan of like iterative development. I'm a fan of doing things manually to prove prove the process. I had a, a company I mentored in Techstars that they did their whole process manually up through their first seed round behind the curtain. It looked like there was a process, but it was it so well informed their company that they're doing great today. Had they expended all their energy on tech development, they never would have had that catalyst. So I'm always poking holes in, are there ways you can get to understanding success or failure faster? And I'm always reminding them that their thing that they want to do isn't necessarily going to succeed. I love that. Yeah, you are are the same person. One of the things I've seen work really well is go and retroactively apply it for a quarter that ended and see, you know, just do an exercise over the weekend and see if it, see how things could have been better. The, I, I've seen that that work really well. Do a retrospective. That'd be great. That's a great idea. Okay. Let's hear the monster story and then let's go home. Well, the monster story was early on in Monsters Days. I was running part of engineering and we weren't getting this good conversion. I think it was on the job seeker side. And we changed, literally changed the button from green to orange. And I, I can't remember. I think it was close to 20% conversion growth. But these are the things like you think I got to raise, I've got to raise conversion 20%. And sometimes it's always a good reminder that sometimes it's the simplest things that are going to do that. It's the simplest of things. And so for us to think we needed to go build something massive to go understand how we were to drive conversion, this isn't always the case. A lot of times it's the simple things. A lot of times it's just that your e-commerce flow is people drop off because it's too confusing. It, all you need to do is simplify and don't be such so unique in how you do what you do. Maybe you should align to a best practice for an e-commerce flow, things like that. And so sometimes it's the simplest things that can actually drive the goal. And then what's great about that is now you've got higher conversion and you can go off and do all these other great things that you want to do because your objectives are achieved. So expend your energy on the things that matter, not on the things you think are going to drive. Orange is a new green. <laughs> Remember, that, this was a long time ago. Didn't Amazon do that, right? Pretty much they put orange buttons everywhere, you know, and, you know, yeah, it was just a you know, disrupted commerce. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this week's episode with Kathy and Subu. Remember, you can check us out at 7ctos.com slash podcast. We also have a sexy shortcut, cto.studio. And come join us on Slack. Come meet me and let's get to know each other. And remember, we have new episodes every week. See you soon.